Shall we stand? Okay, Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, and on the visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, and on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments.
that's what we want to do this morning. Uh, you know, and, and again, you know, you kind of wonder, I sometimes I wonder, why do we bother showing up on Sunday morning? Well, it's because we need to. We need to be reminded. We need to be together with your people. We need to be taught. We need to kind of bring things back into focus. You know, uh, corporate worship is bringing us back into focus, realigning us, you know, from all the bumps and bruises we have incurred over the past week. It's kind of like a hospital. You get patched up, you hit another week. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. So just bless our time this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. So let me ask you a silly question. Do we have a good God? We have a great God.
Thank you. 
we stand. Father, as we're uh, about to come to your word, we come to really a, uh, a very serious chapter of the Bible, as if they're all not serious. But we'll see that chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, you know, has, uh, has a huge penalty for an error. And as we look at this, we need to remember that you are God and you are perfect. And uh, we need to meditate on your word and live by your word. When we do that, we will truly be like this tree planted by water that will yield our fruit in its season, the seasons that you have designed for us. And we don't need to really necessarily worry about the wicked. You will take care of them. We need to do our part. Help us do that this morning. And forever till we're in your presence, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So take your Bibles. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. And we'll find ourselves really in chapters 12 and 13. We come to this passage of Scripture. Sorry about that. There you go. As, uh, as we come to this chapter... The more I thought about it, the, uh, and those of you that have read it know what I'm talking about, it has uh, people die in this chapter, or at least they're supposed to. So it can, you know, it can, sometimes it can be difficult for us to get our head around when God tells them to go execute people. But when we, we get to these kind of passages, we need to remember something about God. And that is that God loves his people. He loves his people. So when we read difficult things, we need to always remember that God loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says of the nation Israel, in verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples who were but you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so we need to remember that. And especially as, uh, as they were going through here, remember, look, at God loves you. Look at what he has done for you. And for us, we think of, I think of 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And so as we go through the scripture, we're always remembering that when God gives us commands and when he gives us direction, you know, of all, of, among, among other things, he's doing two things for us. He's trying to protect God, the creator of the universe, the creator of us, knows what is and what isn't, and so he's trying to protect us, because he knows where things are going to go. Again, Proverbs 14, 9, 14, 12, or 14, 19. Uh-oh. It's been that kind of morning for some reason. Let me get this one right. I think it's 14, 12. Yeah, 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. You see, we can, we can go along and we can make deductions and we can make plans and we can have ideas and we think they're right. 
But we're not God. We don't know the beginning from the end. He does. And so when he gives us clear instruction, he, for one thing, is trying to protect us from ourselves sometimes. He's also trying to provide for us something better. So remember the two Ps as you go through the Bible. God loves me, so he's going to protect me and, and, and give me instruction to provide something better for me so that I can truly be well and have all that he has designed for me. And that is why, as we've gone through Deuteronomy, we, we will note that several times, as God has given them commandments and reminded them about the commandments, he has said things like this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. In other words, all the commandments, verse 1, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. You should be careful to do it. Why? So that it may be well with you. Because God's trying to protect us. Trying to protect us from harm. Look, at if you do this, it will be well with you because you'll be protected from dangers that would otherwise engulf you. And it'll be well for you because if you do this, I'll provide for you the way I designed you and you will truly experience the life that you want. The word well, that's exactly what it means. Well, happy, overflowing. So we need to pay attention to God's word. Now, having said that, we come to Deuteronomy 12 and 13. In here, as the nation of Israel is about to go into the land that God has given them, you remember in chapter 11, or maybe you won't, just let me tell you, in chapter 11, it says... Uh, that they hadn't gone into the land yet, uh, which in verse 9 that God had given them, because they were there kind of stuck on the east side of the Jordan rivers. But verse 10 of chapter 11 says, For the land into which you are entering to possess is not like the land that I've taken you out of Egypt. So they're now going into what God had promised them. As they were going into this land, we know that it was inhabited by other people. And we know that it was inhabited by very, very evil people. And they were to dispossess this, these people. In other words, take them out of their land, basically kill them. And again, you have to remember, God knows what he's doing. And they were going to go in. And the reason that is that they were to do that, as we saw last time at the end of chapter 12, he is reminding them that they need to be very, very careful because these people are very, very wicked. And you know what it's like? If you go in and start hanging out with very, very wicked people, what's going to tend to happen? 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You will find yourself heading in that direction if, if, if you're not careful or even if you are careful because it just kind of rubs off. I remember when I think of that, I always remember the time I worked for Ashland Oil for a few weeks. I didn't get fired. I was taking the, uh, the place of a friend's father who went on vacation, so I worked in kind of a distribution center. And one of, the, one of the things I got to do, actually it was kind of fun when you're younger, and this was 
probably when I was right out of high school, so I was 18, 19, is uh, they had this big rack with 55-gallon drums in it. And, and it looked like maybe you were on a ship and these were all depth charges ready to go. Mm -hmm. And so what they would do is a guy would come in on a bobtail truck and, and he would have an order and I had to go in there and find what it was and roll it out, roll it to the end. And uh, that kind of was a fun job. But anyway, that's not the point. The point was that every morning these two brothers came in with their trucks and, and they were hilarious. I mean, I, I really like a lot of things about these guys. We had a great time hanging out, except for the fact that every other word was a profanity. In fact, it was a profanity that what they said was impossible for that to happen. But it was like every other word. And at first I thought, well, that's not right. I don't remember whether I said anything, but, you know, we're working together, and I try to ignore it. But, you know, as the days went on, I found I didn't say those words, but I found that while I was in this rack, if I bumped my head, that's exactly what popped into my head. And I realized, oh, my goodness, they are rubbing off on me, and that's the problem. So with that happening to the nation of Israel, he gives them chapters 12 and 13 specifically to tell them this, these people over here are very evil. In fact, chapter 12, verse 31, you shall not behave thus like them towards the Lord your God for every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. This is the way they worship. And if you, if you read anything about pagan worship, you really don't want to read much because it was very immoral, it was very sensual, it was very gross which is exactly what you'd expect from Satan. But he says that these people have done every abominable act which the Lord hates. They've even gone to the extent that they burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. So it's saying, now I'm trying to protect you from that, and I'm trying to provide something better for you than that. So when you go in, chapter 12, you tear down their altars, you get rid of all their religious paraphernalia. Basically, we learned earlier, you get rid of them. And then you come to chapter 13, and he picks up the same thought. And what, we are, what he's learning is you need to avoid idolatry. You need to shun idolatry. You need to stay away from idolatry. The same thing is true for us, as I think we'll see as we go on. And uh, to kind of get our heads around this. First of all, what are we talking about when we talk about idolatry? What is idolatry? Well, it's a good thing that you asked that question. And it's a good thing we're in Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy answers that question. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, remember that uh, is, is, is Moses was relating to them the Ten Commandments. The first one was, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now here it comes. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Idolatry is when you worship or serve something other than God. I mean, that's simply put. 
Doesn't mean we can't enjoy stuff. Doesn't mean we can't take care of stuff. Doesn't mean we can't plan to get stuff. But it means we keep stuff in its perfect, in its, in its, uh, in its rightful place. But when we begin to worship it and serve it, and serving and worship go together. And how do you know you serve it? What consumes my time? What consumes my energy? What consumes my money? What consumes me? That's what you are serving. And that's what you're worshiping. That's an idol. And you see, God is trying to protect us from that because Romans 1, 18 to 25 tells us, and we've been over this many times, is that God, when he created this earth, displayed his invisible attributes and eternal power. And because you look around and you go, wow. I mean, Charlene and I were driving from uh, the city, I guess the, the west, Sacramento, and we were noting how, how beautiful God's creation is, even though it's cursed. And yet how beautiful it is. Look at the shades of color, the shades of green, the shades of blue. That's God's creation. And he created uh, it for us so that we could enjoy him, so that we would worship and serve him. But Romans 1 tells us that what mankind has done is they don't want to worship anybody, so they suppress that truth, and they worship and serve the creature, basically themselves, rather than God. And God knows my whole purpose was for creation, for creating you, was to worship and serve and enjoy me. But now you've bought the lie of the devil, just like Eve did in Genesis 3, where he says, you're going to be like a god if you eat of that tree. You, you can be in charge. And so we buy that, 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 uh, that lie, and we're in trouble. It just doesn't work, because we were created in the image of God. See, if we truly evolved from some pre-whatever-it-is pre slime, none of this makes any sense. I mean, you can literally do whatever you want, because there is no God but you. But since we have a creator, it doesn't work that way. It'll never work that way. And always remember Jesus. Remember his last temptation? Satan takes him up to a high mountain and says, here's all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan knows that Jesus someday is going to rule and reign over the universe. And he kind of says, look, you don't have to go through all the pain. You don't have to wait. You just worship me and I'll give all this to you. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship and serve the Lord your God alone. That is the purpose for humanity. So God's trying to, to, to make a big deal about idolatry because when we get off into idolatry, we are going down a road that we were not designed to go down. It will hurt us. It will kill us. It will never find the true happiness we're looking for. There is only one God. As we get to Deuteronomy chapter 32. I, I, oh, this is just, you got to love, it's one of the reasons I love Deuteronomy. De Deuteronomy 32, 39, listen to this. God says, see now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. God knows there's nobody else out there. It's me. The two supreme spiritual agencies in the entire universe is God and Satan. It's God. There's, there are no other gods. 
And I, I'm going to give you all these things about getting rid of idols and shunning idolatry and avoid idolatry. I'm trying to protect you. Because number one, there is no other God. And if you go after these idols, what you're going to end up doing is worshiping and serving Satan. And he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said that in John 8. In Revelation 20, when he's finally thrown into the lake of fire, it says the devil who deceived them is thrown into the lake of fire. You go after other gods, other than what God has given you, you are really worshiping Satan and demons. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, as we kind of alluded to this last week, there is a reference here that says, verse 7, they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they played the harp. Which was very, that's what the pagans were doing in their land. You worship, really, if you think about it, sometimes it's very gross, it's very obvious. You got, you know, the goat head. You wonder why when Satan is portrayed in satanic stuff, it's a goat head. You know, it was what they worshipped, what the Egyptians worshipped. The point is here, you go after an idol, you're really worshipping Satan. And you don't want to do that because Satan is a murderer and a liar. And he's trying to destroy you forever in hell. Number two, God is trying to protect us because it's very dumb to worship an idol. Find the book of Isaiah. And maybe today will just be introductions since I'm taking so long with this. But take a look at Isaiah. Isaiah 44, uh, in the nation of Israel, unfortunately, did not follow directions. When we eventually get to chapter 13, you'll find it's very clear what they were to do. It was very clear what they were to do in chapter four, uh, 12. They were to get rid of all this stuff. Well, they didn't. And what happened is they, they got in there, and they did a little, but they never did it all. And so they, they slipped into this idolatry. They were worshiping all kinds of stuff. And by the time Isaiah writes judgment upon them, he addresses their, really, the folly of idolatry. Find Isaiah 44, begin at verse 9. Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, because there is only one God. You're making a God out of material, and you think it's a God somehow? You think somehow, supernaturally, it's now going to have power? See, the problem is... You build a certain idol, Satan can send a demon to inhabit that idol. To where that idol may actually do weird stuff. But it's Satan, not God. But in and of itself, it's futile. It's nothing. I better move on. Verse 16. So what he talks about, you, you, you cut down a tree, and, uh, and here's what you do with the tree. Now, we, some of us have seen trees fall down because of the rain and stuff. So you got this tree, it's down. So what do you do? Verse 16, half of it he burns in the fire. Okay. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. So he, some of the tree he makes firewood and he, he uh, builds a fire and he cooks his dinner on that fire. Uh, he also warms himself and says, oh, I am warm. I have seen the fire. Verse 17, Isaiah 44, 17. But the rest of it he makes into a god. His graven image, 
Some of the wood that he just used to light a fire, to warm himself, to cook his dinner, he uses some of the same word wood now to make a god. He falls down before it, worships, and he also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. And what Isaiah is saying, how dumb is that? What are you doing? Go to uh, chapter 45, the next one. Verse 20, and it's a fascinating section of, of, uh, of Isaiah. You read through here, and God is, is really, again, trying to protect us from being stupid and trying to provide something better. Don't waste all of your time pursuing this. That can't, that's not a God anyway. Chapter 45, verse 20. He says, gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nation. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. What's the use of having a God that can't help you? What's the use? Chapter 57 is probably my favorite. God says, look, if you're in trouble, you're going to come to me and want help. Oh, verse 13 of Isaiah 57, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. If you're going to do this, don't come to me for help. Go to your idols for help and see what they can do. Now, all of that to say, God is trying to protect us. All this talk about avoiding idolatry, getting rid of the idols, shunning idolatry. He's trying to protect us and to provide for us. So now let's do go to Gen to Deuteronomy 13. And I think with that in mind, hopefully maybe this will just flow. Alright? So here's what he wants them to do. We're going to avoid idolatry, because one, it's dumb, it's dangerous. So three key words, well, a phrase and, and two key words. The first phrase is don't listen. Okay, if I want to avoid that, just put in your brain, don't listen. First one. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, some guy, you're in the land, and some guy within your church says, hey, man, I had this dream, and I've got this, and God said this, and to prove that I'm right here, you know, I'm going to do this sign or make this prediction. And if it actually comes true, we would tend to think, oh, man, that must be right. If you can do a sign, you go to the New Testament and you find Jesus did signs to authenticate who he was. Acts chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, the apostles did signs to authenticate who they were. Elijah and Elisha did signs to authenticate who they were. Moses did signs, remember, before Egypt. So typically this would work. But look, notice what God says. If this prophet or dreamer of dreams comes, does a sign, and he comes and says, this is what, uh, this is the message I got. Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. Whoa. What are you going to do with that? God tells you what to do with that. Verse 3. You shall not listen. He says, you know, put it this way. I don't care if this guy's walking on water. I don't care what he's doing. If he counsels you 
to go against what God has clearly commanded, you do not listen. In other words, God's commandments trumps any sign because Satan can counterfeit signs. You remember that when Moses was trying to, was before Pharaoh, and the whole thing was, well, how is he going to let us go? And God says, well, do, the, do a few signs, and maybe you'll get his attention. So the first one, remember, Aaron threw down his staff, and it became a snake, which would be enough for me because I don't like snakes. Well, Pharaoh was not really impressed because his magic men did the same thing. However, this so every time I read this, I go, really? But Aaron's snake ate their snakes. You would think, oh, that's a message, but they didn't seem to get it. But the point is that they were able to do it. The first plague was Aaron's, they struck their, their staff over the Nile River and it turned to blood. Pharaoh's magicians were able to do the same thing. The third, the, the second plague really was uh, they, they put their, their staff over the Nile and all these frogs came out. The magicians were able to do the same thing. When it got to the gnats and the lice, the magicians couldn't do that. And they said to Pharaoh, look, at this is truly the finger of God. We better pay attention. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The point is Satan can counterfeit, do all kinds of things. Just remember Job. In Job's case, God allowed Satan to destroy him, basically. Satan was able to call fire from heaven, was able to have a great wind come and knock down the house of his children and kill them. Satan was able to use other foreign armies that came in and invaded and took his cattle. Satan was able to do all of that. And then in chapter 2, where Job maintained his faith, Satan was able to take his health. But remember, God says you can't take his life. God was letting all of this happen for a reason. The point is that Satan can do things. So just because somebody does a, a thing or a supposed thing, if it contradicts and goes against a clear command of God, God says, don't listen. Don't let, I don't care what they do. Don't listen. You know, it's interesting as I looked at that word commandments, you know, because then it says we are to follow the commandments of God, verse 4. Do you realize from chapter 4, verse 2, to this point, commandments is mentioned 19 times. Chapter 4, verse 2, verse 13, verse 40. Chapter 5, verse 10, 29, and 31. Chapter 6, verses 2, 17. Chapter 7, verse 9. Chapter 8, verses 1, 2, 6, and 11. Chapter 10, verse 4 and 13. Chapter 11, 1, 13, 27, 28. And here in chapter 13, verses 4 and 18. All the commandments of God. He's reminding them, I have given you commandments. I have spoken. This is the foundation for everything. And I don't care who it is, shows up and goes against that. It's not from me. So don't listen. And then he says, verse 3, For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if, the love, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, God knew all these tests in the Bible are not for God to know. He knows everything. It's for us to know. And actually, see, he's trying to provide. He says, you think you're following me. You think you're doing pretty good. Let's, let's give you a little test. 
and find out really where you are. If you start listening to somebody because it's exciting, look, and by the way, pagan worship, like I said, was very sensual. I mean, it, well, why not? It's wrong. But, you know, look at all this. No, no, no. Look at it. Do you really love me? If you listen to them and you say you love me with all your heart and with all your soul, what have I just shown you? You don't love me with all your heart and all your soul if you're listening to them. You know, and when you think about any trial that you have in your life, look at it as an opportunity for God to show you where you really are. I mean, we were praying this morning for the floods and the people in trouble. And really, you know, when you're in trouble, you say, oh, God, help. It's an opportunity for God to show himself in ways he wouldn't show himself. If a tree fell down and came through your house and you're praying for God, help somehow take care of this, well, he, he, he'll do it in one way or another. But if the tree's not in your house, he doesn't have to do that, you see? So sometimes trials, we can look at them, and, and usually I say, oh, God, get rid of it. I'm done with this, like Paul with a thorn in the flesh three times. But God is saying, hey, look, I have a good purpose in this. I'm trying to show you where you're at. And by the way, none of us are where we think we are. Because we would say, oh, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Really? Let's have a test. Take a look at this person. I mean, that looks pretty exciting. People have sent me things over the years, books, videos, tapes. You know, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? First thing I do is look them up if they are in ministry and see what they believe. I want to see your statement of faith. I don't want to even listen to you or talk to you. I want to see what you have written is what you believe. And that'll tell me a lot. And sometimes I watch them and I say, well, you know, it's not the way I would do it, but it's, it's all right. They're very biblical. Other times I have said, you need to get rid of that. I wouldn't look at that. I wouldn't listen at that. And so that's the first way that we avoid idolatry is when something comes up against the word of God, no matter what it is, you don't listen. Number two. Okay, that's a negative so I mean, what do I do then if I don't listen? Well, God may be trying to show me, do I love him with all my heart, soul, and mind? Verse 4, verse 4 of chapter 13, if you, if, you do, if you don't remember anything from this morning, remember verse 4. In fact, if you remember nothing from the Bible, remember verse 4. Certainly, if you remember nothing from Deuteronomy, this is a great verse. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, cling to him, regardless of what you may see going on. If it goes against him, you don't listen, and you cling to him. You hang on to him, which means you've got to be in his word. It's why we did Psalm 1. How, how, does, how does this person avoid, you know, walking in the counsel of the wicked? How do they avoid standing in the way of path of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers when they're all around? They may be family members. They may be my friends. I may be surrounded. But how do I do that? When they're saying all this stuff, how do I not listen? And by that, I mean not paying attention, not do what they tell you to do. By clinging to God. By listening to his voice. In his law, he, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 
we got to keep coming back to what God has said. But God doesn't stop there. Don't listen. Okay, I got that. Cling to God. Be in his word. That's the important thing. But number three, we need to remove. Remove. Remove what? Verse five. And here's where it gets. You think it wasn't it was serious then. Listen to this. Verse 5. But the prophet or the dreamer of dreams, who shows up in verses 1 and 2, does a sign or a wonder that actually comes true. We'll see later in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that if a prophet says this is going to happen and it doesn't happen, you're to kill him. If it doesn't happen. Here it says even if it does happen, but if he says something against the word of God... In other words, you should worship God alone. That's the first commandment. And he says, no, let's go after other gods. Verse 5, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Look at what God has done for you. I, those other gods did nothing for you because they're not gods. They can't do anything for you. And if they are really Satan and demons, Satan's not going to, in the long run, do anything good for you. Rebellion against the Lord your God. See, God is trying to protect and provide. Brought you from the land of Egypt. They're trying to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. You cannot have it around. Because in our humanity, as we're still in the flesh, like I've said for years, if donuts are a sin, you can't have them in the house. You can, because, you, you know, you can, you can go days and maybe weeks, and, but if it's there, eventually you're going to go, oh, why not? So he says, you get rid of it. Verse 6. So that's somebody from the outside. Maybe you saw on TV or showed up. Okay, don't listen. Hey, they're to die. And by the way, this is a, this is a, a specific time in history where it's the Old Testament, a different way. God was their government. So basically this was God's acting as their government. They were a theocracy at this point. So that, that's why, you know, we're not killing, we're not stoning people today for this. I'll talk about that in a second. But in that time, they were to die. Because you were to purge that evil from, from uh, amongst you. So that's a person that's outside. Maybe he's just very good at what they do. And Satan is very good at what he does. Then it gets really personal. Verse 6. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or the friend who is as your own soul, Entice you secretly saying, hey, let's go and serve these other gods whom neither you, you nor your fathers have known. Are the gods of the people who are around you, near or far away from you, from one end of the earth to the other end? says, look, you know, we came into this land, and I know that's what it said, but I've been watching this over here, and, you know, I actually went to a few meetings. Hey, let's go, because it's, it's really exciting. Verse 8. Now remember, this is your brother, your son, your daughter, your wife, your friend. You shall not yield to him or listen to him. 
no matter how, you know, if it's a woman and a man, we don't like women crying. I don't. I mean, that's, it is please. It, you can almost get a guy to do anything if you cry good enough. But no, you don't give in. You don't yield. You don't listen to him. You, uh, in your eyes, shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him. You don't hide him. I mean, if the word gets out, look, at they're an idolater, and somebody, your neighbor says, you know, he's supposed to die. You don't try to hide them to protect them. No. But, verse 9, you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hand of all the people. So you shall stone him to death because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then all Israel will hear and be afraid and will never again do such a wicked thing among you. What's the point God's trying to make? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 5, 6-9. We read it this morning. You shall not make any idols. You worship me alone. If you go down this road, you're, you're in big trouble. And then verse 12. So we got a very charismatic person giving this whole thing. Charismatic in the sense of personality, not necessarily theology. Uh, you got a family member. Now he says, if you hear verse 12... In one of your cities, so we're in Murphy's, we hear that San Andreas, which the Lord your God has given you, it's, it's in the promised land, uh, to live in. Anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you, so some people went from Murphy's to San Andreas, and have seduced the inhabitants of their city. So somebody went from here to there and it convinced them, saying, let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known. And the inference is the whole city says, yeah. What do you do? Verse 14, then you shall investigate and search out the inquiry thoroughly. If it is true and the matter established that this ab abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants. Now listen, you think God is serious? You shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword utterly destroying it and all that is in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. Everything dies. And you shall gather all its booty, all the stuff that's left, all their cars, all their boats, all their stuff, and you put it in the middle of the open square and burn the city with all its booty and the fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God, and it shall be a ruin forever. It shall never be rebuilt. Nothing from that which is put under the ban shall cling to your hand in order that the Lord your God may turn away from his burning anger because you've gone to serve other gods and show mercy to you and have compassion on you and make you increase just as he has sworn to your fathers. So it will, if you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all his commandments which I am commanding you today in doing right Right, what is in the sight of the Lord. Now, thousands of years ago, this is the way it was done. This is what God had them do. In 2023, he's not telling us to go stone somebody who's, who's leading people to go uh, worship other gods. Because basically, that means we'd have to go after every other religion. 
since there's only one true God, right? And since Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6, and there's no other option. But we live under governments, and it's not the way God is working today. However, the three things, don't listen, cling, and remove, still hold true. Very quickly, number one, when something like this happens, you don't listen. You turn it off, you cancel the subscription, you, you throw away or literally burn the book, because you don't want somebody else picking this up. So we still don't listen. We, we come to the word of God. Number two, we cling to him. We, we give every, all of our thought to what has God said. And see, we have the advantage. We have the whole Bible. They didn't have the whole Bible. They didn't know, you know, it was prefigured Jesus was coming. We know Jesus came. He died. He's taking care of it. But God is still serious because Jesus said in Matthew 22, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And you can't do that if you're worshiping and serving something else as well. That's why John in 1 John 5, 21, as he ends his book, says, Little children, guard yourself from idols. Because Satan is doing the same thing then as he is now, as he will do, because we get to the end time, you know that the 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13 and 14 and etc. That uh, when the Antichrist comes, what does he do? Marvelous things to sell to deceive people. Acts. So we stay to the word of God. So we don't listen. We cling. You know, we're the good Bereans. You come to church. Don't take my word for it. Acts 17, 11. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. You hear anything, you read anything, you go to the Bible and see, is that what God said? And then thirdly, yeah, we remove. We remove as well. You may need to remove yourself from something or somebody because it will rub off. Let me just read you a couple of biblical principles. And this can get complicated, especially if it's a family member. But uh, you got to be careful because it, it will rub off. In 1 Corinthians 5, the church, well, I'll just read it. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality as such of a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. Somebody was having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. Otherwise, it would have said mother. And, and they actually thought, look how tolerant we are. And Paul says, are you kidding me? Verse 5, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know? That a, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. What he's saying is, is you've got to remove yourself. Matthew 18 is all about you see a so-called brother in this sin. You go and say, brother, do you realize what you are doing God says not to do? If your brother says, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that. Thank you. You've won your brother. 
if your brother says, yeah, I'm not sure, you know, after all everybody else is doing it, then you take two more, uh, two more people with you to, to identify the confrontation. And if he says, yeah, look, and I heard what you said, but I'm going to do this anyway. Then it says you tell the church. And the people in the church are to go and say, look at brother, don't you realize that's not what God says? And if he doesn't listen to the church, you are to put him out. You are to put him out. We need to remove ourselves whichever way we can because God is that serious. In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says it this way. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. And do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Now this is somebody in the church. So you've got to put him out. Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So there comes a point, like if it's a family member, well, you're not going to necessarily kick him out of the house, even though I guess that's an option. But you would say, look at our relationship is such, I'm going to follow God. So I, I'm, if you're going to read that, not here. You know, we're not going to watch that. I, I can't participate in because otherwise, you may take me away from loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And this may be a test. God may saying, be saying, do you, do you really love me with all your heart, soul, and mind? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? And so what do we do? We don't listen. We cling and we remove. We're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul. We're going to follow the Lord our God and fear him. We're going to keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. And when situations arise that we may have to deal with, we pray for wisdom. And we may need to get God the counsel. What, what do I do with this? How, how do I handle this? It's in God's hands. God is serious. That's why, you know, you read that, and yes, we're removed. But you go to the New Testament, it's the same thing. We want to be careful that we truly love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Father, I thank you that there is nothing new under the sun. In the regard that what your word says, back in Deuteronomy, we, we may deal with it a little different today because we're not going to go and be stoning people with stones. That's not our job. But we still are to not listen. We still are to shun error. We still are to cling to you. And we still are to remove the best we can that influence from us so that we can love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. Let that kind of roll around your heart and then we'll close in prayer.
Trust and obey. It does work. Help us do that, we pray in Jesus' name. 